Welcome to the CEC report for the 1st of September 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have corporate debt can trigger the coming crash and dual citizenship fiasco ludicrous when the Queen calls the shots. So firstly, corporate debt can trigger the coming crash. Now firstly, a headline which gives you a little bit of an idea of the panic that's going on behind the scenes uh, came out of Bloomberg Business on the 22nd of August. Wall Street banks warn downturn is coming. And the kicker was HSBC, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley say end of market boom is nigh. Breakdown in trading patterns is signal to get out soon. <laughs> And they go on to say that these analysts at these big Wall Street banks have cited signals including the breakdown of long-standing relationships between stocks, bonds and commodities, as well as investors ignoring valuation fundamentals and data. It all means, they say, that stock and credit markets are at a risk of a painful drop. Now, three days later, Craig, however, there was a meeting, the, the infamous meeting that occurs at Jackson Hole of central bank leaders every year. Uh, and at that meeting, Janet Yellen from the US Fed, Mario Draghi from the European Central Bank, basically assured the world that they have made banks safer through their policies such as Dodd-Frank and similar EU regulations and quantitative easing. But we want to take a look at quantitative easing as one aspect of that because we'll put up a graph here and you can see uh, the extent of the money that's flooded into the markets and then we'll look at what it has or hasn't done. But of course the blue here is regular Fed injections into markets and then you can see on top of it in the latter part of the graph uh, the quantitative easing is the orange. Yeah, well this isn't coinciding Elisa with the takedown of Glass-Steagall, right, which means that the banks have had access to people's deposits to gamble with and we've got a huge increase in what's called derivatives, which are these, these side bets and financial pieces of paper that have no value in them of themselves, but they're traded amongst the banks. And there's something like nearly two quadrillion dollars worth of these things in notional capital value that the banks are absolutely uh, um, you know, addicted to. Mm. Now, the really important thing is Australian viewers, our Australian viewers will be saying things like, well, what's this got to do with Australia? Surely our banking system is strong. Well, at least all this money, where's it going? Mm, well, exactly. it's being lent at very low interest rates into the corporate sector. And this money is then used to, for share buybacks mm. so that the companies are buying back their own shares in order to continually inflate the price. And you wonder why the Dow Jones index is up yeah. 21,000 now. It's because this process of pumping the money in to the banks at very low rates, uh, to the, just the, to the general banking system at very low rates, and then lent out to the corporate sector means that this thing has become a bubble itself. And then, the, then those corporations are also lending that, uh, issuing their own bonds into the general marketplace, which has created another bubble, a corporate debt bubble. So when you talk about Australian banks, what people have to realise is that our Australian banks borrow an enormous amount of money from overseas. Yeah. So therefore, whatever happens in the United States affects the global markets, which in turn then comes back and affects the Australian markets. Mm -hmm. So we're not immune by this by any means. It doesn't matter how much the hype comes from the Treasurer or whoever about how strong our banks are. The fact is the actual corporate balance sheets of our banks are addicted mm. to overseas borrowing. And then I haven't even talked about the housing mortgage market no. yet, where 60% of the bank's assets, which are IEM mortgage, mortgages, are in the housing bubble. Yep. <clears throat> so 
uh, when, when Janet Yellen comes out and says, oh, everything's sweet, we've made the banks stronger, that is the biggest crock on the face mm. of the planet because unless you have Glass-Steagall, where you separate out the normal boring banks of you know just the taking in deposits, lending for mortgages and loans and so forth, and you have the local bank manager in the local branch of a bank that has nothing more to do than that, if you don't separate that out from all the other activities, they call it vertical integration, where you've got stockbroking houses, insurance companies, merchant banking, investment banking, and I don't know what else they are thrown in these days, where that's, there's much more speculation on that latter part of the banking. Yeah. And that should be completely separated out from what actual real banking is. Yeah, because otherwise you see what happens if we put up this next graph, which is that all the QE, the quantitative easing, all this money that we showed in the previous graph that has been, that oh, we've the, pumped out, mm -hmm. is, you'll see it on the screen, that the bank lending, i.e. normal banks lending to normal customers, commercial activity, retail activity and so forth, has actually declined yeah. as all this money's been pumped in. You would have thought, with the amount of quantitative easing, you're talking trillions of dollars here into the US economy, that there should have been a boom in the actual physical economy. Well, that's just not the case. Mm. This graph shows that that money is not going mm -hmm. into manufacturing, developing infrastructure and supporting the physical economy. It's literally going into the banks to shuffle more paper, to gamble with more, buy back, lend to corporations to buy back their own stocks and then for those corporations to lend out money to the public. And they've just created an enormous inflated bubble. And that's what you see in this. This is the corporate bubble that we'll show now, um, which the blue line is the key one that shows um, the corporate debt, its growth as a percentage of GDP. Mm. Um, so what you've got here, and I'll use the words of Lord Nick McPherson, he's a former senior UK Treasury official, he compared quantitative easing to a drug addiction because it's all going into this um, kind of exercise that's not real, into speculation. He said in a tweet, QE like heroin need ever increasing fixes to create a high. Meanwhile, negative side effects increase, time to move on. And that is very true. Um, so there are warnings that have abounded. Alan Greenspan has even warned of a global bond market bubble crash. The IMF, Standard & Poor's, Wall, a Wall Street trade group uh, in the recent weeks has, have all warned that this thing is about to go. So the warning is there and Glass-Steagall is the solution. Now we've got to take a quick break, but right mm -hmm. after this we'll be back to discuss the debate that's going on in Australia about citizenship, dual citizenship, and what Real, the real issue that arises with that. Welcome back to the CEC report. Now we're discussing dual citizenship fiasco ludicrous when the Queen calls the shots. Hmm. Now, you know, everyone in Australia has been hearing about this citizenship scandal, how could you not? Mm -hmm. um, but first, Craig, we want to talk a little bit about the backdrop to this, i.e. the parliamentary system uh, of, that Australia has and where it came from, namely Britain. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what are the big factors? Because there are really big existential questions on the table for the British Empire system historically and what we mean as part of that, the new Commonwealth system or a, a informal financial empire as it's often referred to these days. And uh, Diana's death, which was yesterday, the anniversary of Diana, Princess of Wales, 20 years, mm. raises a lot of these issues and we've 
in this week's Australian Alert Service, which if you haven't already called in for one, do so. We've got a number of features which we'll refer to and we can only do so briefly. So to read the full detail, you can get a hold of that. Um, because basically it's a, it's a, her death is a good reason to have a look at the system that she was actually challenging the British Imperial, the whole system of monarchism itself, she was a major threat to. Uh, and basically at a certain point with what she was doing, Craig, the monarchy wanted rid of her. There's no two ways about that. But she died and it really backfired in a sense because the monarchy copped it even, even harder yeah. and it left them in dire straits. And there was a um, screening of a, uh, one of these documentaries, there's been a whole bunch of them on ABC in the last week called Seven Days That Shook the World. In the UK it was Seven Days That Shook the Windsors, more to the point, um, where they showed you know millions of people converging on the royal palaces to mourn what, who be, Diana became known as the People's Princess, which is a key thing. Um, the Channel 5 video that was on ABC, they put it this way, as the public came to grips with Diana's death, Britain found itself in the midst of a collective nervous breakdown. And the Queen knew that if the royals lost the affection of the public, then their days were numbered. Yeah. They are few, we are many, as Jeremy Corbyn said. Exactly. And, and that's we'll, what they're terrified about. Exactly. It's coming up again, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, first, though, let's have a quick look at one of the articles in this, which you can find out more about, because we've drawn a lot on the material of an Australian investigator by the name of John Morgan. This is one of his books, and you can find details on his website about that. Um, he has basically shown evidence to prove that she was assassinated. One of the aspects that we've taken up in the alert service is a key figure a British diplomat for 30 years by the name of Sherrod Cooper Coles. And John shows in his books that he basically is a big MI6, big wig, um, very senior figure, who was called into Paris, that this is the funny thing about it, he came into Paris the day of Diana's death. So this was basically very unusual. He was meant to start work the next day but he was called in rather than the so-called um, existing political councillor who was the head of MI6, the MI6 station in Paris, even though he didn't know Fr French. Yes, that was, I found that very strange. He yeah. was in French training at the time and yeah. he didn't have the four and a half years of experience the former councillor had to deal with the authority. Mm. So why bring in someone like that? And what John shows is that this was part of the cover-up because, as John said, had it been... Um, made known to the inquest and to the authorities that this senior MI6 guy had come in just prior to the death of this princess. When this princess had warned, remember, she, this is how she put it in a note that she gave to her lawyers prior to her death, my husband is planning an accident in my car. And yet this line of inquiry was never followed of the 11 MI6 agents that were in the stationed in Paris at the time of her death, only one of them was interviewed by the inquiry. And when they gave testimony to police, they basically all said, oh, we didn't know she was here. And they didn't even know who was on duty that weekend. It seemed like, you know, I mean, this is British MI6. This is not some backyard club or something that has no strict rules or anything. So none of it makes sense. There's a million holes a mile wide and in this story. And why wasn't Charles called to testify about this message? Exactly, he, exactly. He and the thing is, Diana 
had uh, put together a weapons dossier. So it wasn't just about the landmines, but she had four to six inch thick files where she said she was going to name the names of the top countries that were benefiting from the global arms trade. And she said at the very top of it is the SIS, the Secret Intelligence Services. The problem is though, Craig, her husband was one of the major players in the biggest, biggest British arms deal with Saudi Arabia known as Al Yamama. And this um, Sherrod Cooper Coles turns up working as the Saudi ambassador after Diana's death. And he um, was the one that shut down the British uh, secret, the SFO investigation. Serious fraud office. That's yeah. it. Um, and that was an investigation into Al Yamama. He was the key one that actually mm -hmm. moved to shut it down. Then he turns up working for HSBC, yeah. which has, it's, this is the drug money laundering bank that has close ties to the Saudis, to terrorism. And so what we map out in this article is that this guy turns up as a British fixer wherever you have drugs, drug money laundering, um, terrorism activity. Um, you know, he worked for BAE Systems, which is the British arms dealer that was part of the Al Yamama deal. So an investigation into him could reveal a hell of a lot. Mm. Now, as you said, Craig, this question of a people's princess has been raised again because, you know, the population of Britain are demanding change. And, you know, when a hero comes their way, they embrace them as they did Diana. And Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labor Party, has struck a chord in a very similar way. And this is uh, stunning. So they have a new champion and the institution of the monarchy is in again at threat. Um, now, just to give you an update, Corbyn has been all over the country with thousands of people again showing up at all kinds of events. He's been in a tour of 65 marginal electorates over their summer and again raising this idea of for the many, not the few. And we just want to give a quick look at the flavour of this. Probably everyone has heard of the um, the chant, Oh Jeremy Corbyn, and it's been picked up around the world, but it arose spontaneously at a um, concert back in May this year, and it just took on a life of its own. So we'll just show an initial clip. Oh Jeremy Corbyn! to We're All Live, which is a music festival at Tramere Rovers, and people start chanting, and you must know this yourselves, when you're on the stage you can't actually hear mm. everything that's going on in, in the, you know this, don't you? And then I'm looking at these guys chanting and realise they're smiling. <laughs> so, so I paused and realised what they were chanting, it was, I was quite moved actually.
then I want to show another clip, which this is actually, this has just come up in recent days. Uh, this is a artist, a, a mus musician who's actually put together, because the original song um, called Seven Nation Army was uh, written by White Stripes. But this fellow has actually, this is uh, Sam Harrison, he's actually rewritten it with new lyrics and so forth. So have a look at this. So there you go, Craig. I mean, it really gives a flavour of the excitement that's there, but again, the threat to the monarchy. This is the expression of the mass strike, Elisa. When these things start to become spontaneous from the population, it terrifies the monarchy because it can't be controlled. And that's why you know, the whole death of Diana post her murder was so closely scripted because they, they were terrified for their very existence. Absolutely. They had and to cover it all As you say, up. in our latest Australian Alert Service, uh, we go through and... That document that for people. Mm. And, and people here in Australia, we get it all the time, are very, very suspicious. Yeah. Rightly so. Yeah. Now we'll look at the Australian aspect and the citizenship debacle right after this quick break. Welcome back. Of course, we've just been discussing the parliamentary system um, under the British Empire system that was set up for Australia and our constitution's a big part of that. So this citizenship debacle that's taken place is, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense actually because the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Canada and Australia all share the same head of state. And under section 42 of our constitution, all members of parliament swear allegiance to Her Majesty. Yet under section 44 of the constitution, any person who is quote, under any acknowledgement of allegiance, obedience or adherence to a foreign power or is a subject or citizen or entitled to the rights or privileges of a subject or a citizen of a foreign power is disqualified from being a member of parliament. So how can the two stand side by side in the same constitution? Clearly the framers of the constitution did not see Britain as a foreign power. No. It's obvious. So people like Fiona Nash, Malcolm Roberts, Nick Xenophon, Barnaby Joyce, Scott Ludlam and Larissa Waters, I mean the Queen is the head of state of the countries that they have dual citizenship of. Why is this even an issue? And section 61 of the Constitution, I'll add, says executive power of the Commonwealth is vested in the Queen. So Craig, this Constitution really is anachronistic, it's an abomination. And we really need to reconsider the whole thing. Uh, Alisa, we've done a lot of history work in this over the years because it comes to the very essence of who we are as a nation. Now, what people don't or don't realise from, the, from, the, from our history is that in the 1850s, 1860s, 
thereabouts. We actually had a movement in this country for the United States of Australia as a republic modelled on the best aspects of Abraham Lincoln's United States. Now, at that particular time in the 1860s, 1870s, you had a lot of Americans coming over here that were very familiar with Abraham Lincoln and his policies because there was a gold rush on. Mm. So there was a big movement for a Republican movement in this country for the United States of Australia. Now, this here we are. We we're a prized British colony in a strategic part of the world from back then. I mean, we could have been Dutch or you know, very close to becoming Dutch uh, nation uh, because of the... But, you know, Captain Cook ended up making us British. It was more by accident, I think, than, and good luck than anything. But we represented an outpost at that point uh, of the British Empire very, very strategically. Now, the British had just lost the uh, Confederacy through Abraham Lincoln's work, and they were desperate not to lose Australia. So what they did is they wrote our constitution in the British Home Office mm. with a view to giving us what's called responsible government. Now, responsible government means that you have a series of ministers that are not swearing allegiance to the people, but swear, swear allegiance to the Crown. Mm. And to this very day, if you're elected to, as a member of Parliament, you've got to swear allegiance to the Queen first and foremost. And who is this Queen? This is the Queen of Great Britain. No, she's the Queen of the Commonwealth. But where does she live? She lives in Great Britain. Mm. So, in effect, in 1985, you had the passing of the Australia Act, that sort of separated us a little bit from that, but not really in, in all functional senses. So what you have is this absurdity where we've never been sovereign mm. as a nation. We've been autonomous. And that autonomy only exists up until the point that we start to tread on the Queen's toes. And only, one only has to look at the, the period of Gough Whitlam where you had the Governor-General sack Gough mm. Whitlam. What was the issue there? Well, Queen Elizabeth was one of the largest institutional shareholders of Rio Tinto. Gough Whitlam wanted to buy back the farm. He wanted to buy back those resources for the benefit of Australia, build and nationalise industries for the benefit of Australians. But that would have meant mm. the raw material looting of Australia that was being done by large British companies would have been, and of course the Queen, indirect, actually not indirectly but quite directly, would have been eliminated. So yeah. this, this comes to the point of you know, this idea that the Queen is just a figurehead is absolute rubbish. She mm -hmm. has intimate control through her reserve powers and all sorts of different things uh, into Australia. And this is why you know we're a Republican movement in the sense of, of creating mm -hmm. an Australia for the sovereignty of Australia. Yeah, it's a question of the system you have because if you look at an example around the same time as Whitlam, which is Harold Wilson, the British mm -hmm. Prime Minister, who he was actually elected twice in the 60s and then in the 70s again. And we've got a book review uh, in this alert service of Smear, Wilson and the Secret State. And what it shows is actually unbelievable um, that a coup against an elected government is actually legal if it's supported by the Crown. And that's what they were trying to do against Wilson numerous times. It also shows that, for example, the Cabinet Office has more power and access than the Prime Minister's Office. MI5 has extraordinary power above and beyond the Prime Minister that keeps files on all MPs and can prevent ministerial appointments based on that information which they don't share with the Prime Minister so he doesn't even know why he can't have a certain minister. 
Um, and so there were repeated attempts to smear him, as we see today with both Corbyn and with Trump. So it's that system that actually has to go. And that's to protect this monarchical system, at least to protect exactly. the point against the many, mm. as against the people. Yeah, yeah. So, Why should Australia be subservient to one person? All our MPs act for the Queen rather than for the population of this nation. And I think we're going to be moving in that direction as far as Australia becoming a public with an elected you know, uh, head of state, our own head of state, mm. not some we foreign power. We have to have the correct model in order to do it right. But that's all we've got time for this week. So thanks, uh, Craig, for your words. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for tuning in to the CEC report and join us again next week. The Citizens Electoral Council will be present at the Royal Adelaide Show from the 1st to the 10th of September. Come and see us at the Jubilee Pavilion, site G54. And are you really going to leave your nap with Richard Branson?